Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go. The Get Over Yourself podcast is brought to you by Almost Heaven, beautiful compact home use sauna kits, ancestral supplements, grass-fed organ meats in a capsule, DNA Fit, genetic testing for custom diet and exercise recommendations, Integro Health, high-potency liquid probiotic called Flourish, Organifi, organic powdered superfoods, delicious green, gold, and red powders, Wild Idea Buffalo, sustainable, grass-fed, beyond organic, and check out the bradkerns.com slash shop page. That's my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance. And here we go with the show. You know, no offense to Oprah, she got ladies out running, and I love that. Oprah empowered women to go run because she finished the Marine Corps Marathon, and the next day, every woman in America said, I can do that. So, you know, hats off to you, Oprah, for the getting women out running, but the business model of any of these ideal protein, shakeology, that if it involves calorie restriction to starvation levels, it's not healthy. I mean, that's how we hurt people. You know, in the shower, like for a guy, I mean, no kidding, here's the test. If you can't see your friend in the shower, you probably should check your insulin level. You know, you're in trouble. I mean, I'd probably eat a WFPB, you know, so the volume of my plate, Brad, is probably plants, the volume, the most volume, but certainly if I don't have anything of nutritional substance on that, you know, some form of fat and protein to go with my veggies, you know, with a nice bottle of Primal Kitchen, you know, <laughs> Greek goddess. Dun, you know, dun, dun, dun. I got to put music in the background if you're going to do a commercial. I want to enthusiastically recommend DNA Fit, cutting edge genetic testing to deliver a personal profile that will guide your fitness and nutrition goals. So simple, you spit in a tube, mail it off, and soon you get by email this super cool infographic where it delivers all these important insights and elements of your genetic profile at a glance. How you metabolize carbs, caffeine, vitamin D, lactose, and much more. My exercise profile was mind-blowing because it revealed my genetic muscular makeup to be 54% power strength and only 46% endurance. As a lifelong endurance athlete, I've been banging my head against the wall, training in a manner that was in conflict with my genes. Don't wait 20 years making mistakes like I did. Find out what diet and exercise patterns are most aligned with your genetics at dnafit.com. This stuff used to be super expensive it was a few hundred dollars. Now it's pennies. Not really, but it's a great deal. And you get 30% off if you just put in the code G-O-Y-30. Check out everything at dnafit.com. Hi, listeners. I'm pleased to introduce you to an amazing thought and action leader of the planet, Dr. Mark Kukazella. This guy is fighting a beautiful battle to make big changes in the backwards medical community, 
treating diseases that are so easily preventable by diet and lifestyle modification, and also on the other side, encouraging people to get outdoors and healthy and run and run barefoot. He opened up the first barefoot dedicated running store in the United States. He's in a hospital environment where he convinced them to get sugar out of the hospital cafeteria and patient's plate. Yes, there's a ton of sugar on any hospital plate. Take a look if you're visiting someone or you happen to be there. What a joke. What an absolute disconnect from what your body needs after something traumatic like a surgery or an illness. And there they are feeding you sherbet and skim milk and all the other garbage on the hospital tray. Dr. Mark's doing something about it. He's making great strides in his home state of West Virginia. And how unlikely is that? Because West Virginia just earned the fabulous distinction of being the number one most obese state in the United States of America. There's new maps that come out with color coding. Only Colorado and Hawaii has an under 20% obesity rate. And then the worst of the states are trending up there up to 40% of the population obese. Dr. Mark states that 67%, two out of every three West Virginians are in that danger category of their BMI off the healthy charts and into the overweight obese zones. Interestingly, though, West Virginians are the most honest people in America because there's another graph called the self-reported rates of obesity, and West Virginia is the same color. It's red on both maps where a lot of these other states are in the red zone, the danger zone in terms of their percentage of obese, but they think they're a green or a blue. <laughs> oh man, that's pretty tough. So West Virginia acknowledging the problem and guys like Dr. Mark helping these patients. He has a low carb clinic. How about that? Would you like to see a physician who's already embracing the primal paleo ancestral health principles as soon as you walk in the door. You don't have to fight a battle with your own doctor, which is so common these days. And we hear about it so much with ancestral health enthusiasts. So we go on a wide ranging, hardcore discussion. I know it's fast moving at times and some scientific insights come into play uh, with a necessary prerequisite knowledge of things like hyperinsulinemia, the chronically excessive insulin production that happens when you eat a high-carbohydrate grain-based diet and all the havoc that wreaks inside your body with oxidation inflammation, the precursors to heart disease, the true precursors rather than the long mistaken notion and finally being overturned by respected scientists in consensus that eating fat causes you to get fat and causes heart disease. It's been strongly refuted now and widely accepted that sugar is the problem. Dr. Mark references the work of many of his great colleagues like the science journalist Gary Taubes, who's written some of these transformative books in the scene. Dr. Timothy Noakes in South Africa, who's also fighting a royal battle. And believe it or not, if you Google this, you're going to be amazed. But he's on trial in the courts of South Africa for recommending to patients that they cut out sugar and eat more fat. It's absolute joke. But this guy's standing strong against a lot of pushback, especially in the academic world that he comes from. So, Man, you got to respect guys like Dr. Kukazella, Dr. Noakes, Gary Taubes, trying to tell the straight story, Dr. Robert Lustig, other people that are quoted in this 
wide-ranging discussion. And of course, with Dr. Mark being such an accomplished marathon runner, we had to get a little tidbit discussion in about the recent world record performance of Yulia Kipchoge running a 201.39 marathon and what Dr. Mark thinks about that. Because get this, this guy has one of the most impressive streaks you've ever heard about. He has run 30 consecutive years, a sub three hour marathon. He has an all-time best of 224, which is just about Olympic trials qualifying back in his early days, but he's still going strong. He's hit 50 plus and carrying on like a machine. He finished this podcast and went right back into his role on call for the emergency patients coming in. So this guy goes hard. He's got a lot to say. I hope you can hang on for a ride and get incited incited. I was going to say inspired. Somehow out of my mouth came incited. And I'm going to leave it in there (laughs) because I want you to get incited about some of the nonsense that's going on in the medical and the healthcare scene and the battle that Mark's fighting. And also inspired to eat healthy, get out there and exercise, maybe consider a barefoot experience because Dr. Mark's so big on that. And he's run many of these fast marathons in minimalist shoes. Fun times with Dr. Mark Kukazella. Dr. Mark Kukazella, we are lighting it up. We were we were already going off on our many favorite hot topics. So I said, hold on, I'm pushing record. And we were talking about uh, the militant vegan influence and some strange stuff that's going on. Light us up, man. Yeah, that's a battle, Brad. So, you know, medical education now is... You know, we've made some strides that we don't allow pharmaceutical companies to just waltz in and, you know, sell their wares and give their cherry picked articles to students who are highly influenced. But what we're seeing now is, unfortunately, groups like Physician Committee for Responsible Medicine, American College of Lifestyle Medicine. So these groups are dominated by, you know, what is now kind of referred to as a whole foods plant based diet. If you hear that term WF. PB, I think would be the right (laughs) acronym. It's code from what I'm reading, you know, and what I see given out to students as, I mean, I'd probably eat a WFPB, you know, so the volume of my plate, Brad, is probably plants, the volume, the most volume, but certainly if I don't have anything of nutritional substance on that, you know, some form of fat and protein to go with my veggies, you know, with a nice bottle of primal kitchen, you know, <laughs> Greek goddess. You, dun, you know, dun, dun, I, I got to put music in the background if you're going to do a commercial. Yeah, I have it at my store. Shit, I got like all four varieties, five varieties in my fridge. But that's, so, I mean, the, the greens are great. You know, those are nutrients, but they're called fat-soluble vitamins. And, you know, you do, I mean, you don't need to be doing endurance sport just to be doing normal human activities. You need essential fatty acids and essential amino acids So if all I ate all day was plants, I think I would be eating all day, which as a human probably isn't a good thing. You know, somehow we made it further up the food chain to not have to be, you know, eating plants eight straight hours, 20 straight hours a day. But this movement is not really based on science, you know, so I see patients and I don't have any political agenda. I don't have any products to sell. You know, I just want them all for the garbage, you know, which is the junk you know, which could be called like the white death, you know, might be another way to phrase it. You know, so we all agree that we need to get off of sugar-sweetened beverages and processed junk. But when we go out there and push to the population that they should be 
eating 95% plants, you know, no animal products at all. And somehow that's the way it is. I mean, that doesn't, that's not sounded in any medical evidence, certainly not in human biology and certainly not in human evolution. So when that's pushed out to medical students as the way to health, you know, just, and they get a free pass. So these groups are held up as authoritative. You know, they have doctor's names behind them. You know, they have board certification. You know, you can take online courses, you know, spend your money to get a certification. You know, you can go to Colin Campbell's website, you know, on the Cornell and, you know, you could be like anyone who has no medical background and take an online course teaching you how to teach the world that they should eat plants only and put a shingle up and then teach this. But they, they, they make their way into medical schools because, I mean, just for example, last year there was a book put out by Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine called Nutrition's Guide to, to uh, Nutrition, Clinician's Guide to Nutrition. It's a free resource by the PCRM. And uh, my administrator hands me this box of books and says, oh, yeah, this here's a free gift from the PCRM, you know, to give to the students. You know, do you mind uh, giving this book to the students during your lecture? And I kind of grabbed the book and, ooh, <laughs> and I paged through it. You know, I like just open cardiovascular disease, you know, and like diagnose or the, the, the therapy is, you know, all plant-based nutrition, fine nutritionist who teaches plant-based nutrition. That's it. That's the remedy. So I agree. I mean, I think we probably agree on 80 to 90% of things, you know, get rid of junk food. But the, the world right now is suffering from a condition called hyperinsulinemia. You know, so unless what that person, if, so here's how it is. I don't know, maybe you want to throw another question is, or just let, kind of let me go on a little bit on this, Brad, I'll clarify. So this was a, a podcast from the British Journal of Sports Medicine from one of the leading pediatric obesity specialists. And this one made sense to me and how we need to look at this as a society. You know, so if we have 30 kids in our grade school class and one kid is failing, maybe it's about the kid. But when two thirds of the kids are failing, it's not about the kid, right? Like you can't blame the kid. Maybe there's a system thing, you know, multiple inputs going on that is contributing to two thirds of the class failing. So you've looked at the CDC maps you know, 35 to 40% of my state is obese and 67-ish percent are overweight. So Brad, I think what the population and medical providers really need to understand that if two-thirds of the population are overweight or obese and over 50% has prediabetes, you know, there's such a, a loop in that Venn diagram, you know, there's pretty much one in the same, then unless our guidelines and what we teach students in the general population is we need to identify hyperinsulinemia. And if they have it, then whatever they do in life, not just food, you know, if you're on night shift and there's stress and cortisol and, you know, so we got to get at that as the root cause. And, but most of these uh, whole food plant-based nutrition guidelines don't even address hyperinsulinemia. If I look at that list of things that they want you to eat, and if I'm a diabetic, you know, there's tons of grains in there. A lot of fruit. People do not understand, Brad, that fruit, you know, this is, I'm not making this up and you can Google it. So if, if a hibernating animal wants to fatten up before hibernation, what foods do they seek out? Fruit, right? Because they, you know, the, the bear cannot go to McDonald's. So unfortunately they have to find what is available in their environment. So the most 
and insulin resistance leads you to hibernation. You know, you want to build body fat. So all these animals in nature that that want to, you know, hibernate and put on body fat, they seek out the sweetest things they can find. So when we kind of loop them together and we tell children, well, you can have five servings of fruits and vegetables, and that's all good, and it'll all work out well. But that could be like five servings of kale, which in my state, they don't even know a kale from a cow. They, they don't. Or five bananas or five cups of, of uh, you, you know, have you seen, like you'll get them at the Dollar General. You know, so to most people in my state, a fruit would be a can of sweetened um, canned fruit, you know, like pineapple fruit cocktail. You know, fructose is, is the elephant in the room. It goes right to the liver, you know, so anything that's high fructose load, whether it's a sweetened drink, uh, canned fruit, or six bananas at a time because you're, uh, you're supposed to have your five fruits and veg. If it's working for you, great, but I haven't seen that work yet. So I'm waiting for the day that, that this works. So, so if anyone has data that that works, enlighten me. Yeah, um, I think the, read it. I'll read it. The, the argument and the strong voices in favor of this uh, plant-dominant uh, animal-absent diet uh, usually is a vibrant, fit-looking uh, promoter. And I think the, the following are a lot of people that uh, it, it makes sense intellectually to think that uh, fruits are, are so nutritious and they have uh, nutritional value and Jamba Juice will tell you about all their antioxidants. Uh, but it, it seems like you're onto something when we're overlooking the issue of hyperinsulinemia when we're talking about uh, the recommendations to avoid fat in the diet. And by default, you're going to be going over to high carbohydrate intake or eating all day like the gorilla. Yeah. And, and they call it like in the literature, Brad, they call it the healthy person bias. So if you go to Boulder, Colorado. Oh, and so, yoga, so Brad's making, Brad's making scientific sense. He He's, he's tapping into an actual validated concept. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's called the healthy person bias. And I think it's pretty easy to define. So if you go to Boulder, Colorado, maybe San Diego, California, and you have a fitness instructor, maybe someone teaching spinning class, a CrossFit instructor, but they tend to be more paleo, a yoga teacher, you know, who does everything right in life, right? They eat, drink, no sugar drinks. You know, they don't even drink beer, no alcohol. You know, they exercise eight hours a day. They get sleep. They get sunlight. They do all these good things. And they eat a vegetarian diet and they look pretty healthy. That doesn't mean that if you eat the vegetarian diet, if you are not that healthy person, you will get healthy. But we tend to, association isn't causation. So, you know, you go over to these small islands in the Mediterranean, you know, and they might call them things like the blue zones, you know, and they have community. They eat dinner together. They eat for two hours. You know, they don't put grandma in a nursing home. They walk from place to place. And, you know, they eat a lot of, you know, olive oil and fruits and vegetables and all that stuff, but they don't have insulin resistance. They don't have high insulin levels, you know, and they, and they eat this wonderful kind of almost romantic diet, you know, but can you apply that to the general population if that diet contains a significant amount of carbohydrates? We just don't know. You know, all we do know is can we measure someone's insulin level? And if it's high, then we need to reduce that in that individual's diet. But because you're healthy, you know, triathlon friend eats you know probably you back in the day brad and look at dave scott just do a link to his sites you know he was the carb guy 
you know, when back in the day when he was racing Mark Allen, you know, he would skim the the cottage cheese, as, as Mark Allen would say. Wouldn't he, like, do all kinds of stuff? Like, he wouldn't have a, a lick of happiness diet. But then he, I don't know what led him. I think he had, well, he had arrhythmia. He went into AFib and had cardiac issues. And now he's, like, turned it on its head. You know, he's, now let's eat the healthy fat. And I think what he's advising, correct me if I'm wrong, I've listened to him on podcasts, but, you know, for the triathletes he's advising is, okay, I, you know, don't do what I did then, you know. You know, for as much as he knew about training, he he did not understand the diet because none of us did then. We just, if the fire was hot enough, we just lit it up and we burned it. Well, I mean, Doctor Timothy Noakes was the world's leading exercise physiologist in the endurance scene, and of course, everything was happening inside the carbohydrate paradigm. So we didn't know any better, and not knowing any better, all this stuff is indeed scientifically validated such as you need to keep uh, slamming sugar down your throat if you want to perform uh, for a long-duration workout if you're eating in a carbohydrate dependency pattern. But no one knew that there was an escape hatch uh, to, to get out of that trap of you know burning calories like crazy to make up for all the, uh, all the insulin you're producing in your diet and the increased appetite and the inhibited fat burning. Yeah, great read. I got to to see Timothy, or, or Prof, as he's respectfully known, affectionately known in South Africa. So three weeks ago, I went out to the Metabolic Conference out in Columbus, Ohio, uh, hosted by Jeff Olek, who's professor there at, at Ohio at the Ohio State University. So Tim made his trip over, and he gave a, a a wonderful talk, kind of through the whole history of this. And he actually pulled up some of his old studies from like the 1980s, where he was studying sports nutrition. And because he was convinced that the carbohydrates were the key, he actually ignored some of his own data. So it's so nice when people kind of mea culpa because we're all learning every day. He went back to, and he's like, I completely missed this phenomena that was happening right before my eyes because I was just looking at the carbohydrates. But you had to see the talk. It was just mind-blowing. But he's working on now, he's working on, which, which will be, I don't know how many years it'll take him to pull it off. He's an amazing writer. But he's working on the sixth edition of the lore of running, and he's revising the whole nutrition section, and he's digging deep into the way a lot of these, um, for many of the, the audience out there, the lore of running is the Bible. You know, it's the fifth edition is, I think it was the late 1990s it came out. It's like 1,000, 1,500 pages. Crazy. But he has like chapters on what all of these runners from legendary times did. And it was mostly the fifth edition was mostly about their training methods. He didn't mention much about how they ate. So he's going to go. But back in the in the day, he was he was talking about this in Columbus. Greetings, my fitness minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, 
a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. I'm so excited to introduce you to Paluva. This is a new zero-drop minimalist shoe with the distinctive five-toe design from my main man, Mark Sisson. Paluvas give you the most authentic barefoot-style experience, but with sufficient cushioning so you can use them for all manner of daily movement, especially walking and many other fitness and athletic activities. Paluvas are also incredibly stylish, so you get a barefoot shoe that you're not embarrassed to wear around in daily life. It's been so cool to see the popularity of minimalist shoes grow over the recent years, but Paluvas are a step ahead of every other zero-drop wide-box shoe because of the critical feature of individual five-toe articulation, a separate slot for each of your toes. This allows for correct dynamic movement of the foot through the walking or running stride, which is impossible when your toes are encased into a single box, even a wide box. Well, you might know that minimalist shoes have faced controversy in recent years for causing injuries from inappropriate use. So here is the big picture mission. We want to get you walking in paluvas, living in your paluvas, going barefoot in your home or other safe areas as often as possible. Go ahead and use your specialized cushiony running shoes or your basketball shoes, work boots, high heels, things that you want to wear when you want to wear them, but wear your Paluvas as much as possible to reawaken the natural functionality of the human foot to stand, walk, run, and perform. Do you want to try a pair? I'm certain that when you put them on and walk around, you are going to quickly realize that these are the most comfortable, natural shoes that you've ever worn. They are designed to feel like you're, quote, walking barefoot on a putting green please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. You know, they didn't have power bars and power gels. Like these people running these crazy ultra marathons, you know, in slippers in the 1930s. I mean, they would do, I, I just got back from the Comrades Marathon in South Africa, which is the 90K run. I think this was the 95th year. You know, it's, that's, that's Tim Noakes's, that's where he learned a lot of his science was at the Comrades Marathon. And uh, these old school Comrades runners, they didn't have aid stations. They had maybe a few spots where they'd have these salty potatoes. That, that was about it. And um, 
but yeah, so he's looking at what these folks that did extraordinary human feats did back in the day. And when he was sharing some of these stories in Columbus, it's like, wow, you know, it, it just comes around, you know, nothing new under the sun. It just all gets recycled. But we have to go back and look at the science. And I think we just had a blind spot there for probably about 40 years. And now it's thanks to the work of Jeff Willeck, Timothy Noakes, Stephen Finney. It's being unroofed. You know, I'm, I'm just a, an N of one who seven years ago got pre-diabetes. So I just flipped my food pyramid upside down and I feel good now. And, and that's the main goal in life is feeling good and having energy every day. Oh, my goodness, Dr. Mark. I didn't know that. So you got a pre-diabetic uh, warning red flag come up seven years ago. That was yeah. maybe around the time of Noakes as well. Or uh, tell me about was. your thing. So, and actually, Noakes validated that I wasn't crazy. So probably about seven years ago, I was working on a project, which is the foundation of the book I just wrote, Brad. It's called Run for Your Life, and it's based on a project I did for the Air Force called the Efficient Running Project, which was designed to try to help people pass their fitness tests because the failure rates and injury rates were going off the rails. And um, I didn't know anything about nutrition, and I just did kind of a data crunch about why people were failing. And I noticed that you know, it shouldn't be surprising now, you know, but back then, you know, it was like, are they not training enough? You know, maybe they need to just suck it up more. You know, we all have our biases, but I wanted to throw out all my biases. At, at that point, I was, you know, I kind of prided myself on it. Like, I didn't believe anything because most of what we had learned was wrong, you know, because I'd gone through this whole journey of, of my foot. <laughs> you know, I started running barefoot when they told me not to run after foot surgery. So I realized that most everything that was on a treatment model was backwards. So I, I looked at all the data on the fitness test, and the, the BMI chart and the failure rates were like parallel. I mean, if your BMI was high, you failed the test no matter how much PT you did. And I, I, it was by chance I came across an article by Gary Taubes, and, and you're familiar with him. He was one of the first investigative journalists into nutrition. It was a New York Times article called Maybe It's All Been a Big Fat Lie. And I read that, and I was like, wow, that makes sense. And I looked at my own labs at the time, and my fasting glucose was like 130, somewhere around there. And my HDL was low, trigs were high, and I was waking up every morning at 2 in the morning to need more cereal. I was probably eating 900 grams of carbs a day, but couldn't make it more than three hours without carbs. And, you know, so essentially I was developing what's called the metabolic syndrome. You know, I, I had multiple components of that. My whole family's diabetic heart disease, so it's genetic. And then I went and got Gary's book, and I, I spent like – a week reading it twice. So good calories, bad calories. It's like a 450-page tome with 1,100 references. You know, it's like wow, this is it is what it is. It's like a bible of the history of nutrition, and that convinced me to flip everything upside down. So that was my last grain, my last bowl of cereal. Just started eating eggs again, and you know, just every fatty thing I could. You know, not to excess. Just I just shifted my fueling source, and I just felt good all of a sudden. I just took about two weeks. I felt good. And then I went down to South Africa, so I teach running courses uh, with your your good buddy, Dr. Maffetone. So we've partnered up under a course name called Health Fit You. So, you know, but I've been traveling around teaching these running courses. So I partnered with Tim Noakes to teach one down in Cape Town with Zola Bud, you know, the famous barefoot runner from South Africa. And Tim's like, I'm going to give a talk on nutrition. I'm like, cool. I have the topic because I've been reading about it. And I'm sitting in the auditorium listening to Tim's talk, and he's like dissecting the history of the food pyramid. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, this, if Tim says 
I think I'm right. You know, you never, none of us say we're right or wrong. You know, it's like, well, maybe if I'm right, I think this could be the right way. You know, you just have to be critically thinking about this. And, you know, in an hour and a half, he pretty much laid it out. But, but he predicated his talk to say, okay, before I, I'm giving this talk, this has been five years of personal experimentation and reading everything I can. And no one, and I, I know this is true, no one will outread Tim Noakes. So he does not just read the latest, uh, you know, Huffington Post article and say, well, I guess that's what I want to do, <laughs> you know, before he'll, because, you know, he's vulnerable and brought up to trial because, you know, he suggested to a, a young mother that maybe he should, she should wean her child to eggs, meat, cheese, and the stuff that is on the American Academy of Pediatric Healthy Food List, you know, which could be called low carb foods, but these are just normal foods. But he's been under attack. But that validated that I wasn't crazy. So it's been, I think he and I in different parts of the world have been on a parallel path, just trying to educate and let people try things. So we don't, we're not dogmatic. It's like if what you're doing now is not working for you and you're becoming more obese in the middle while training four hours a day for your triathlon, maybe try something different and see how it goes. But that's, yeah, Tim looks like a million bucks now, so to have the energy to rewrite the lore of running, he must be doing pretty well. Uh, and to give some context to the listener, uh, you're an extremely accomplished marathon runner, uh, you know, top physical form here, uh, lean, mean running machine that's gone, what, 30, time, 30 years in a row under three hours in the marathon or something? Yeah, 30 years in a row. I'm going <laughs> to oh. give them a lineup. At Marine Corps, so Boston Marathon this year, I was hoping to click off 2019, but if anyone's a runner and maybe watch that race on television <laughs> in the comfort of your home, it was like, no kidding, it was like 40 mile an hour headwinds, driving rain, it was just horrible. I mean, I, I love being out there, so I had jacket, you know, I was like full on gear, like expedition, but I ran a 304 there. And it was not a day to run fast. I think the winning ladies' time was 2.39 and in second place, 2.44. I mean, that's pedestrian. The, I think two men went under 2.20. So I kind of wasted that day for time, but I don't run for time now. Ran 3.04 there. But I'll, I'll come back at Marine Corps Marathon in about five weeks maybe, Brad, somewhere in the end of October. But I feel good. I feel fresh. So if there's not you know horrendous weather conditions, I should be able to go under three this year. So and, this but if, is, it, if it doesn't, something happens, it's no big deal. But, I, you know, I feel fit enough to do it again. Oh, I'm sure if you uh, if you bust a 301 there, you're going to find a, a late December marathon and, and throw down under good conditions. So I, I have yeah, faith in you, man. Cal International. But yeah, I'll, fast I'll, course. I'll throw it down at Marine Corps. I've, I'm committed. Okay, so, so this <laughs> metabolic problem came up in the midst of this tremendous demo- devotion to running and, uh, you know, low body fat levels and on the outside, uh, looking like the, the physical specimen to, uh, parade around for the state of West Virginia, where you're living. And you referenced earlier that, um, they, they're ranked number one as the fattest state in the union. Yeah. So I'm just trying to help my state and my main message to the people. So obesity is not some individual flaw. You know, as we mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, it three quarters, two thirds of the class are failing. There's environmental issues. And you you had pulled up something interesting that I hadn't pulled up is that they're the mo- we're the most honest state. So self-reported obesity rates 
we are the highest. So yeah. meaning we, we kind of know what it is and it is what it is, but that still doesn't get us a way out. So, you know, I'm, I'm like fighting wars on three fronts to try to, so if we put out public health campaigns, Brad, that don't address hyperinsulinemia, that kind of go halfway, this is, no kidding, this is the biggest crisis to face humanity. And I'm not making that up. You know, I mean, I would I would say just, you know, carte blanche, the food pyramid was probably the biggest mistake in human history. If you look at lives lost, costs and suffering, think of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, obesity, you know, that has ticked up since 1980. You know, so to reverse that is not going to take small incremental measures. I mean, this is full, full frontal assault. So we can't work around the edges. And, you know, I'm pretty outspoken that if something does not address hyperinsulinemia, if we just tell kids to eat more fruit every day and obesity is magically going to go away, you know, I think that's all good. Or maybe get out and exercise a little more, you know, less screen time. I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. But if we're looking at reversing obesity, it's not a, that's not going to reverse obesity. And that's where I think there's a lot of confusion in public health. You know, there's all these public programs and, you know, incentivizing people to do these things, which are all good. I mean, I totally, I mean, that's my life. I don't spend six hours in front of a screen, but to reverse obesity, it's going to take policy, you know, at the state and national level to, you know, to decrease access to the toxins, which is fructose mainly, you know, so the dose makes the toxin, you know, so you and I, when we were kids, maybe, if we won our little league baseball game, we went out and we got an eight ounce Coca-Cola in one of those little cans. And that was like a big ass treat, right? You know, birthday party, you'd have a Coke, but we could deal with that. But if that's every day and it's in 26 ounces, then it's not going to work that in your Capri Sun. Well, so we I have reference uh, back in my childhood, I, I, I remember uh, consuming a lot of candy and I would love to go with my buddies uh, to the candy store and grab a bunch of candy bars on a on a hot summer day or, or go and get a Slurpee. But guess what? We arrived there on our bicycles. And so we were riding in the hot summer sun in Los Angeles and climbing up very steep hills at the end to get back home. And so that element, you know, mitigated some of the damage. But today it seems like we have so many disastrous modern consequences from lack of sleep, too much artificial light, uh, messing up the appetite hormones, kicking us back toward sugar dependency than the readily accessible sugar. Um, it's sort of like we're clumping them all together. And then someone says, hey, why don't you try this vegan cleanse? And I feel fantastic. And most likely, the average uh, person going through daily life and eating a standard junk food diet, if they clean things up, they're going to feel great and they're going to have a thumbs up in favor of uh, this this common uh, strategy to just go super clean and not and not harm the animals either. And then I guess that gets lumped into a solution whereby maybe long term uh, eliminating that fat from the diet is going to have some consequences relating to satiety and compliance. You bring up a great point there, Brad. So the you know so I would completely agree. Like if you went complete vegan, it's similar to me as like a fast. So if you took someone who was full catastrophe, you know, which is like my state, right? They're eating McDonald's, drinking sweet tea. And for 30 days, you went pure vegan, right? You just got rid of all the shit and you just ate kale for 30 days. You are going to get better. You're going to feel better. You know, your insulin levels are going to go. But that's for that's like a fast, right? It's basically you just stop eating, you know, it's but you need something in your stomach. But that does not mean that for the rest of your life, 
you should just say kale. So there's so much confusion, but well, I felt, you know, I, I did this and for 30 days, I felt great. It was like a 30 day cleanse. And, and maybe that for some people, they do need that. They like totally get off the sugar addiction, you know, so if that 30 day, you know, vegan or smoothie cleanse, you know, which limits calories and limits fructose. If it's a veggie smoothie, not a mango smoothie, you know, they are going to feel better and that's good. So I, like if people want to do something like that, I'm all for it. Like if like do it for 30 days, anything to get you off of the garbage and, and the white death, you're good. But then you have to reset into something that's going to maintain your health, you know, to the day you have to jog into the nursing home, you know, and not be wheeled in there with eight chronic diseases. Right. And in a guy like you, lean and mean and dropping three-hour marathons, but having these adverse blood values, something something uh, sinister is going on inside without you even knowing it. I imagine it was perhaps a surprise to see uh, see you come into the same category as the average obese person. Yeah, if you didn't know, I ran. You know, I, I was one of the guys who did run it off because I like to run. But if you looked at my labs, you know, you wouldn't have guessed I was like, you know, winning marathon races, which I, I was winning some races at the time. But now my labs have, comp- you know, my HDL is like 106, you know, and for those of you that don't know what that is, that's like super high and the best predictor of cardiovascular disease. If you just look at the cholesterol, you know, it would be your total over HDL or your or HDL over triglycerides. So when your HDL is high, it's an indicator that your metabolic processes are well. But the, the true test is called a coronary artery calcium score. You know, that's the, the test that looks under the hood. Do you have any plaque? You know, are you good? And knock on wood, mine was zero a couple of years ago, which it's like the 15-year warranty. So whatever I'm doing, have done, you know, luckily – um, I don't have any plaque on my arteries, so I'm going to keep doing the same thing because I'll take a score of zero because it's almost impossible to have a plaque rupture if you have no plaque, and plaque ruptures are the main cause of cardiac events. And for those of you out there, that's a, a great test. It's the only test we'll use for performance military pilots to allow them to fly performance planes like an F-16 or any fighter where they're going to be pulling G's or any astronaut now who goes to space needs to have a score of zero, meaning absolute zero, because anything above that, they do have some risk and you wouldn't put them in a situation, you know, certainly pulling eight G's on a turn or up at the international space station. And, you know, they have a cardiac event, you know, you can't call nine one one from up there, you know, take an international team and millions of dollars and a lot of human risk just to bring you home. So, so that's an important test for people just on their own to read up on. You know, if you feel like you're at some risk, your family, say you're a 50-year-old guy like you and I, and you just want to know, like, okay, I know what my cholesterol, my blood pressure, I just want to know, do I have any plaque in my arteries, yes or no? It's a $99 test. I don't have any conflict of interest with that test. They're available at most good quality radiology imaging centers. So consider that. Look it up. People right now can look, you know, it's an open access world. Right, you can just go go pop yeah, for a test. Calcium score, you know, compared to Framingham risk score. You know, you go into your doctors and your LDL is this, and they'll say, well, your 10-year risk of cardiac disease is this. You know, it blows it out of the water as a predictor. You know, do you have zero CAC, meaning no plaque, or you have, you know, you're in the oh my God range. You know, you have score of a thousand units, you know, so that means you better figure it out, right? You better, what is driving your plaque? Each of us have multiple inputs to that. 
Uh, did you improve that score from that day uh, six, seven years ago when you had your adverse blood test with the high triglycerides, low it, HDL? It was probably zero. So probably for some reason I had not accumulated plaque yet. I probably caught it early enough. So some people can regress plaque, but what you want is, so say you're our age, Brad, you're 50-ish year old dude or lady, and you do have some plaque. That's So you have to be informed about the test. I don't want to scare people that they have plaque because what you would do to prevent and stabilize it. So stable plaque is okay. It's unstable plaque. That's inflammation. So super high insulin loads, stress, you know, tobacco use, these things cause inflammation. And certainly, you know, the, the sugar metabolism, and you describe it well in primal endurance, you know, the Tesla versus the car that puts out a lot of smoke, you know, so if you're burning sugar all the time, you're putting out a lot of exhaust. And, you know, for a simple way to explain it, that's, that's different than like a Tesla, which puts out no exhaust. So you could run your marathon if you're burning fat. You know, there's no toxic byproducts. But if you're just slamming workouts every day, burning sugar, depending on your genetic adaptation to that, you know, we're all different animals. But just buyer beware if you're burning sugar and working out hard every day that it might not be cardio protective. Find someone in your local area that can give you sound advice and give you these basic tests to, you know, is all good or maybe warning, warning sign. If you live near West Virginia, you know, come see me. I can at least have an honest conversation with you as an individual versus looking at population data. So, Mark, you mentioned your family genetics and obviously your running gave you some level of protection, but not all the way there because of your diet. So I'm wondering uh, when we walk around through the uh, the cities of America and the the buffet lines in Las Vegas and the 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 cotton candy lines at the amusement park, are we basically seeing a uh, lottery result based on uh, the the standard American diet, knowing to be uh, excess in those white death foods of refined grains and sugars and also the vegetable oils, and then the level of damage uh, that you sustain? is relative to your familial genetic predisposition to accumulate plaque or to accumulate excess body fat? Yeah, and I've heard it explained like this, Brad, and I think this kind of spells it out. So it's called a phenotype, you know. So a phenotype is how your genes are expressed, you know, how, how does the flower bloom in the environment that it is. So we all have genes, and that is what it is. You know, you can't control that. You picked your parents, and that's how it goes. But then the epigene is the genes that get turned on or off. So signals can turn those genes on or off. And then you have the environment. And, you know, it's not just about sugar. I mean, there's probably things that we don't even know. There's the microbiome, you know, all these bacteria in our gut, you know, were we born from cesarean section or vaginal? I mean, was your mother insulin resistant? So there's all kinds of things that turn genes on and off. So the things you can control is the environmental inputs because some people can do the same environmental inputs and in their genes, they won't have this expression of this insulin-resistant phenotype, which is the expression of insulin resistance, with, where if you went to a Walmart in my state, it doesn't take very long to see it. It's people with big waists. That's going to be the, the marker. And in Asian countries, because they, they get the diabetes before the obesity, so you can have just this little teeny belly, right, like this little teeny pot belly you know, this little teeny beer belly, but that could be completely nefarious to your health because that could be turning on all those inflammatory markers. So not everyone needs to be obese to have this, but if you've got some of that fat in the middle and you know it when you see it, 
you know, in the shower, like for a guy, I mean, no kidding. Here's the test. If you can't see your friend in the shower, you probably should check your insulin level. <laughs> you know, you're in trouble. You know, you look down um, and you can't see your buddy there. So that's, that's a bad sign if, for the males. Uh, a lady who was a patient shared this one with me and we're on a podcast. I'm in West Virginia. So if they don't understand your language, you're wasting your time. So she said this uh, after she had lost like 40 pounds around the middle. She said, Doc, for the first time in my life, my waist circumference is less than my chest circumference. And I was like, yeah, that's a, that should be in the textbook, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. You look at the ladies and they got the big bellies and that's, that's, that's the dangerous fat. You know, ladies will accumulate fat evolutionarily in the buttocks and the hips, and they hate it because it doesn't look good. But that's not the unhealthy fat. That's actually probably, based on your genetic type, a means of of survival, of, of being able to reproduce and feed children. You know, I know it's not fair to be a lady to, to listen to this because you're designed different. You know, you and I are designed to provide and protect evolutionarily. It is what it is, and, and the ladies are designed to reproduce. If that doesn't happen, the species is done. You know, that's not being sexist or biased. That's just, you know, you see that that's endocrinology. You know, there's different hormones influence fat accumulation in different places. But those kind of two simple things, if you're a guy, if you can't see your friend in the shower, a lady, if your belly is, is wider than your chest circumference, you better cut back on the carbs and deal with other things, stress, physical activity. If you have sleep apnea, you know, that's another problem that drives this. When you say that the fat in the midsection for both males and females turns on inflammatory markers, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so there's a whole pathway of inflammation that is driven by what's called visceral fat. So visceral fat, like when you go, like say, uh, you know, I've scrubbed into all these operations, you know, and uh, even C-sections now, you know, you, you see a, a mom and there's all this fat around the intestines, around the liver, and that 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 fat produces, in, you know, IGF, insulin-derived growth factor. There's all these interleukins. I'm not a, a physiologist or biochemist, but there's all of these pathways that lead to arterial injury, you know, this micro-injury, which will, which will be kind of the, the fertile field for plaques to accumulate. So cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease. It's at the scene of the crime. So all of these small, dense LDL particles in the presence of inflammation will start to accumulate plaques on your arteries. It's a long process. you know. And unfortunately, now this process is starting in, in youth. I mean, even in the Korean War, when they did studies on autopsy studies on these 18-year-old kids, they were surprised to see all of these plaques already on the arteries of 18-year-olds. So even in the 19... 19- was starting to happen, you know, probably not to the degree as it is today. We see fatty liver now. About a third of kids in my state, if you tested them for it, they would have fatty liver, which is, you know, a pathway to needing a liver transplant, you know, by their 30th birthday. A kid has fatty liver. Yeah. Yeah. Look it up. Incidence of fatty liver and obese adolescence. And it's like, it's the same thing, right? So if a child has visceral fat, if a, if a little kid in your neighborhood has a belly, the liver's involved. It doesn't spare the liver. So they do, if you actually did the test, actually did an ultrasound or drew a blood test called a GGT, they have fatty liver. But the good news is if you catch it, it's reversible. Robert Lustig did this study substituting soda for pizza, right? I mean, like pizza, you wouldn't think is a good food, but 
I mean, not even going paleo or low carb, just substituting soda for pizza in 10 days, fatty liver accumulates in 10 days, it reverses. So 10 days, you can make change at the fructose. It's this, uh, the fructose is in all of the processed foods, the drinks where like a pizza crust is mostly glucose. Starch is more glucose. It's a different type of sugar, but it doesn't go right to the liver. Yes. So yeah, it's simply so, reversible if, if you catch it early enough. But once the liver starts scarring, you know, when you look at end stage fatty liver, which can now happen in 20 somethings, at that point, too much damage is done, unfortunately, and they can't, they're on the transplant list, which is really sad if they only knew, you know, when they were 10, that they could have dealt with it. It's, it is sad, you know, I've seen these transplant patients and they really had no idea what, why they are there. And it's just sad. Are we talking about escalating numbers here? I mean, I, I, people yeah, are more yeah, familiar with the, uh, the, the alcoholics destroy their liver and get on the transplant list like Mickey Mantle and he waited forever. Yeah. Uh, but this is uh, diet related, excess fructose consumption, visceral fat, fatty liver. Yeah transplant list that's Number not a good one story reason for liver transplant now is fatty liver and it's only going up so we can't i mean it's uh, the iceberg right so we cannot afford to think in 20 years if all these people with fatty liver don't reverse course and they all need a liver transplant you better have a lot of motorcycle riders out there without helmets and you know i'm not saying that you know to, to be uncompatible <laughs> no but, that's, but that's it's just, just uh, what it is. that's a doctor's sense of humor man I, I, they call it alcoholic fatty. They called it alcoholic liver disease, and then they started seeing kids with it, so they had to change the name. It was the same exact process. Ethanol and fructose are five carbon sugars. They have to be dealt with by the liver, so they both go right to the liver. So the kid drinking juice might as well be, you know, having a, you know, a pint of Jack Daniels. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, 
first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for BRAD podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Hey, man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? Look, we talk about our injured knees, our belly fat, so it's time to get focused on function. I want to tell you about Gainswave. This is a cutting-edge protocol where a handheld device sends low-intensity shock waves into your penile blood vessels to stimulate a healing response and promote increased blood circulation and the growth of new blood vessels. A skilled practitioner puts the Gainswave magic wand onto your magic wand, and after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results. Gainswave reports an 80% success rate. Now, we know that popping pills is a popular penile protocol, but when you're working with clogged pipes, you just get a temporary band-aid effect when you take prescription drugs. Gainswave addresses the cause of age-related decline by stimulating growth factors and activating dormant stem cells. Translation, stronger, harder, more sustainable erections. I learned about Gainswave from my podcast guest, Dr. Judson Brandeis at the Brandeis MD Clinic in Northern California, and there's a robust network of Gainswave providers that you can find on their website near you. Complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment, and while it's great for ED, Gainswave is for any man that wants to combat the effects of aging and get a little boost for your A-game. So please visit Gainswave.com slash Brad. That's G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E dot com slash B-R-A-D to find a practitioner in your area, and you can take advantage of my special promotion, buy six treatments and get one free. You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. But wait, wait <laughs> six-year-old has the same problem, but he's not an alcoholic. So we have to make up a name. It was, it's called NAFLD. We call it, you know, in short term, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is basically fructose intolerance at the liver level. And it can be quickly reversed. And it has to be because that's cost of liver transplants. It's like building more iron lungs, Brad. So back in the day, you know, so uh, this is kind of my my call to your audience there. So this is a national crisis. You know, my parents were alive in the early 50s. I wasn't. But polio, everyone was terrified, right? Maybe your parents could tell you stories if they're still alive about everyone was terrified of polio. They would line their kids up to get 
experimental vaccines. The March of Dimes was created. It was a national crisis to find the cure. Jonas Salk made the cure, sacrificed everything, but this was a national crisis. The option was build more iron lungs. Today, we're just building more dialysis units, hospitals, medical treatment centers, but it can't sustain. We have to take this as serious as polio, but we're not because there's industry, you know, all big food, uh, big pharma. I, I don't get it, but I don't see the urgency. It's like, well, let's just do a little bit. It's better than doing nothing. It's like, no, doing a little bit is not, you either go all in to solve this or you get out of the room. And I'm in these meetings and everyone, well, this is better than doing nothing. I'm like, no. Well, <laughs> I, I leave guess, crying. Yeah, it so sounds like. Just telling kids to eat more fruit is going to cure obesity. Yeah, it sounds you know, like there's some impure influences into the story, such as the profit uh, influence of building more dialysis machines, uh, making more uh, prescription medication to address things like hyperinsulinemia. Um, reminds me of the, I don't know if this anecdote is is more rumor than true, but uh, it was bantered around in the education circles years ago where um, the state of California would uh, analyze third grade reading test scores and project the uh, construction of new prisons according to the rise or fall of the test scores in third grade, predicting that if the kids aren't reading at third grade level, they're going to have real trouble. They're going to bomb out yeah. in high school and have more likely to be incarcerated. So it's pretty uh, horrifying story, but it's playing out in, uh, you know, the, the growth of the prison industry and the decline of the emphasis on education. And we go over to the food side and um, we, for some reason, we still have entrenched in conventional wisdom today, like you say. I don't know if Weight Watchers changed course, but it used to be zero points to consume your fruit. So you could go all hog yes. wild on fruit I've, and still qualify. I've off on them before, you know, publicly that, you know, I mean, really, they, these folks should be called for high crimes and misdemeanors. So to sell, there was a great article. We could link it, Brad. Just, I think it was yesterday. The Huffington Post just posted an amazing, thoughtful article called Everything You Know About Obesity is Wrong. And what it really points at is society's view of obesity and this fat shaming, kind of like when we spoke in the beginning, you know, if one kid out of your class of 30 is failing, you know, maybe it's about that kid. But when two thirds are failing, you know, it's not about the kid. It's about something else. So, you know, these programs, you know, will cheer people who can suffer the most and starve themselves the most. You know, it's all about their individual willpower. But the biology of what these programs throw out to the insulin resistant patient is complete garbage. It's a great business model. So if you buy their packaged foods and restrict calories to a thousand a day and starve yourself and be miserable, you will lose weight. And the Weight Watchers meeting will cheer you on as the most powerful person in the room because you, and it's like the workouts, right? When you showed up for your Tuesday run that you talk about, was that the day of the week you did the run and was Tuesdays? Tuesday run in San Diego with a, with a bunch yeah, of like badasses. Yeah, like the most pain on their body. And then that would be the rock star of the week. They're like, Brad, man, you were just, you know, you were on today, man. You just laid the hammer down and you just dropped everybody. Good on you, dude. But that's like a Weight Watchers meeting. You know, no offense to Oprah. She got ladies out running. And I love that Oprah empowered women to go run because she finished the Marine Corps Marathon. And the next day, every woman in America said, I can do that. So, you know, hats off to you, Oprah, for the getting women out running. But 
the business model of any of these ideal protein shakeology that if it involves calorie restriction to starvation levels, it's not healthy. I mean, that's how we hurt people. And I, it's, it's inhumane because people go spend their money and they, they're, they leave these programs because they all gain the weight back and they're feeling like they're the failure because the program will say, well, just get back on the starvation program. You'll lose the weight again. It's not our program's fault. You lost the weight when we restricted you to 800 calories. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, Vinny Tortorich, fitness yeah. confidential guy who, who comes clean. He, he's a straight, straight shooter, if nothing else, man. But he properly, last uh, week. you know, so. he called out, uh, he called out Oprah Winfrey because she, this is, uh, I think five years ago or something where, um, she, she got fat once again, you know, she's been up and down for, for the public eye to celebrate and then, uh, lament and then, you know, another progress. But at one point she invested heavily in Weight Watchers. That was a big story because I think Weight Watchers was running out of money and she became a big investor and then, uh, you know, went back into, uh, one of her weight loss modes and he called the hypocrisy there because, um, it, it's kind of kind of ridiculous when this is our our f- health, fitness, weight loss role model. Um, and I like to connect that right over to that um, comment you just made about the Huffington Post article and Gary Taubes, who said this so beautifully uh, back in his book, Why We Get Fat. He said, it's not your fault. And what he meant by that was that this metabolic disorder that you get into uh, a little bit of the science here on the show, where we have this high insulin production, and then it throws everything off where we can't burn fat anymore. And we truly are hungry for more quick energy carbohydrates because our metabolism is so screwed up. And if you're hungry and you're a human, you're going to go eat. And if you're tired and don't have the energy to get off the couch and work out, you're not going to get off the couch and work out because you literally are tired. You don't have energy in your bloodstream. Yeah, everyone who's listening to this, if you've not read, you could pick up the Cliff Notes version, which is why we get fat and what to do about it, which is the 200-page drill down from the 450-page good calories, bad calories, you know, get it on Audible and listen to it. And it's just an amazing work, you know, that that was well over 10 years. You know, I, I know Gary well, and he came to West Virginia and, and spoke to at a state public health conference and just, you know, he's like making the case, right? It's like you're in a court of law. All you can do is lay down the evidence and let people, let the jury decide you know, if he's right, then we have it all wrong. You know, if he's wrong, then keep doing what we're doing. So I, I think he's right. You know, so that, <laughs> well, that's just, a good, it's a good comeback, yeah, Mark, just, because whatever side of the debate you're on right now, and if you're a low fat, uh, grain based diet or, you know, plant based, whatever you want to call it, you're going to be consuming a lot of carbs for your energy. Um, we have to look around and see the disastrous results. So something that we're doing now is, you know, the food pyramid's been around since the 70s. And by and large, people have strived to adhere to that and possibly done a decent job. But then we go back to, you know, the, the comments uh, of Gary Taubes and in the, the recent article that you're doing the best you can, but you're hungry at 10.45 a.m. after your breakfast of oatmeal, orange juice, toast with jam, and then something something doesn't smell right about the story. And we'll see what happens in 2020, Brad, so that every five years the and I'm involved in a group called the Nutrition Coalition, you know, led led up by Nina, Nina Teichholz, uh, Dr. Sarah Hallberg. So we're not advocating for any one specific kind of diet, but all we're advocating for is to 
opened the book of scientific evidence when we developed U.S. dietary guidelines for an entire population. You know, so there's a whole body of evidence that that group has ignored. And last year, they made some baby steps, not last year, 2015. They said this sentence in the U.S. Dietary Guideline scientific paper. They said fat and cholesterol are no longer nutrients of concern. Like, what the hell does that mean? It means that basically they're back on the table. And they said, yep, there's no limits on eggs. There's no limits on fat. They still limit saturated fats. I'm, I'm hoping that one will go away. But they basically, you know, uncapped any limit on fat or cholesterol. They but they can't come out and say they were wrong. All, all government agencies do, and you know, medical establishments like the American Heart Association, you know, they've raised more money than any nonprofit on the planet. So could you imagine if they came out after accepting all this money and you know and having the world put on statins and you know eating a quote heart healthy diet, you know, which you know, Fruit Loops have the, the heart healthy check on it. Well, we were all wrong. You know, they've just lost all their credibility. So this is the language that they use. We've updated our guidelines or we've revised our guidelines, which were the guidelines they created. You know, so, I mean, I admit I was dead wrong. Like 10 years ago, I was probably the doc in that article, you know, that's in the Huffington Post today. Maybe I didn't say it overtly, but if a patient came into my office who was 300 pounds, I'd probably had a bias that, well, you know, look, I'm not, I'm a skinny, you know, I'm a runner. Why don't you just do what I do? You know, I eat all this carbs and I'm fine. But that, that wasn't because I was an evil person. I just didn't understand it. And now the first thing I say to a patient, Brad, who's overweight, is the first thing I say, let's just get it off the table. And I'm glad the article, to, we'd have to link that one. It's open access. But I say, look, you're here, you're overweight. It is not your fault. Trust me, it is not your fault. This is obesity is not an energy balance. It's not because you've eaten too much or you have no willpower. Trust me, I understand. You don't have to explain it to me. You've tried everything. It is not your fault. And then once you get that out, like, I mean, people will cry because just before you can have a conversation, as long as they know you're not judging them and you understand what they understand, because these people know they are not lazy and gluttonous. I mean, these are hard ass working people. And they know it's not their fault, but just to hear it from a healthcare provider before you even discuss anything else. Look, it's not, it's like, you know, an alcoholic walks into the room. Look, I know this is not, this isn't your fault, right? You know, your genetics, your environment, like it just shit happens. It's not, you're not weak. You know, somebody gets hooked on opiates because the doctor prescribed Percocet after they sprain their ankle, right? That is not the patient's fault. You know, they, that's the chemical thing in the brain. So we just need to do that across the board, just, you know, rid the guilt that the patient has and start clean. I mean, in, in your experience as a physician, do you see that, uh, that negative attitude and that self-defeating uh, disposition come into play when people have tried, failed, struggled, and then they feel like they are lazy and undisciplined rather than that they have a metabolic disorder? Yeah. All the time. I'll just share my this patient who was I saw like uh, was today. Today's uh, Thursday, Tuesday. I was in clinic and I saw a young man. He was thirty, and I saw him a month ago. I'm not sure how I, I have a low carbohydrate clinic, and somehow he found my clinic. First visit, 425 pounds. Um, you know, pretty standard. You know, guy. Otherwise, well, you know, other than the 425 pounds, which isn't going to, he won't be well for long. His joints were hurting, and we just went over the basic food paradigm of just, you know, Vinny Tortorich, right? NSNG, you know, fitness confidential, no sugar, no grains, you know, just do this for a month. You know, he has no way to even weigh himself. He weighs 400 pounds. 
So he comes into the clinic on Tuesday. How you doing, man? Oh, I think I'm doing okay. I don't, you know, and uh, his clothes are fitting a little better. He steps on the scale. He's 395, you know, in four weeks. That's 30 pounds, pound a day. But what he said was profound, and I see it a lot. He's like, because he hadn't been weighing himself. He can't, there's no home scale that'll do that. He's like, wow, you know what, doc? I wasn't hungry. And that says it all right there. He wasn't hungry. So it gave him hope. You know, he's not counting anything. He's... But he's got a long way to go. And, you know, if he goes off the wagon, so to speak, you know, he goes out with his buddies and drinks beer and has pizza, at least he knows there's a wagon he can get back onto. And that's if people have hope that they can get out of it, then then they have hope. If there's despair, despair is when you have you're helpless. Right. And we see all, we see this with all these obese patients who've spent their whole retirement. I mean, I'm not making this one up, too, is. It's uh, there's more money spent in this country on weight loss than national defense, which blows your mind, right? Like, geez, Louise, look, we're bombing the world and more money spent on weight loss. And the most we're not the most obese country. The Middle East is more obese because they've adopted our lifestyles and, you know, they stay inside all day because it's 150 degrees. But that's kind of a sad statistic. Uh, back to the blood tests, you, you recommend the coronary calcium score, and we talk about this uh, epidemic condition of high insulin, chronically high insulin, hyperinsulinemia, but you don't hear a lot about uh, blood testing for insulin values. I, I know there is a blood test for insulin, but it doesn't seem like it's a prominent marker. Can you explain what's the deal there? Yeah, it's it's not an easy one to get. And there aren't good protocols. I'm actually working with a gentleman now in the Netherlands called Eric Smith. He has a company that has a point of care insulin test. You know, I, for me, I mean, most of the time you explain it to people, you don't need that. If they've got weight in the middle, you just get rid of the carbs for a month and see how it goes. Your body will tell you if your insulin resist. If, if you respond to that diet like the gentleman I just described, that's his ticket out, right? He's eating to satiety. He's getting full proteins, full fats. He's not doing a vegan cleanse or something, you know, he's eating a sustainable diet for life, you know, pretty much like any ancestral diet. But if people kind of want to catch things early or just need a number to convince them what I would suggest to them, and you can get it, it's, it's called a glucose tolerance test, but you would do it with insulin. So you would drink 75 grams of glucose. Now, glucose is different than soda. Soda is a mixture of glucose and fructose. But so those, if there's ladies out there who did that test during pregnancy, it's really nasty. So glucose can be utilized, it absorbs quickly and can be utilized by every cell in your body. Uh, fructose needs to go through the liver first. So fructose doesn't raise your blood glucose as fast as white bread, which is glucose or a pure glucose drink. So you can measure at an hour after 75 grams of glucose and see what your insulin is. If people want to read about it, there's a book by Dr. Joseph Kraft, who just died this year at age 96, called Diabetes and You. And he said this, find me a patient with cardiovascular disease that does not, I'm sorry, find me a, a diabetic who doesn't think they have cardiovascular disease, and I'll show you they're undiagnosed. Because what he, he, he found was this condition called diabetes in situ, meaning they're not full-blown diabetes yet, but they have these high insulin levels. And they also had cardiovascular disease. He was a pathologist, and he based that off of about 4,000 autopsies with these glucose tolerance tests. So he made a direct correlation to high insulin levels 
and cardiovascular disease, which is basically diabetes. He said diabetes is cardiovascular disease. It doesn't cause it, it is it. It's the same damn thing, driven by insulin, which is a growth factor and inflamer of the blood vessels. I don't know if that got too technical, but it, that, that's a great book. It's a paperback published in 1976, Joseph Kraft. And you can just Google Kraft Curves, K, K-R-A-F-T, and you'll see, wow, <laughs> I'm trying to get one of those machines for my clinic, you know, just like a glucometer, right? Do a finger stick and you see what your insulin is. And then, you know, you could say, well, gosh, that French toast is not a good idea because your insulin like shoots through the roof. Well, I guess for the non-scientific approach, you can uh, assess whether you've been accumulating excess body fat over the years and decades uh, routinely. And you can assess whether you have an energy dip after a high carbohydrate meal and know right there that yeah. you're in sort of a you're you're in a uh, you're in a uh, a warning red flag state, and that's not how life should be lived. Yeah, I don't think I think some people want numbers. Object, I mean, objective numbers are good for research, Brad. But as individuals, they you know if whatever this is kind of how I explain it to people too is what you're doing working for you, and they're like, well, no, <laughs> well, let's try something completely different. Right. So if they've been doing, you know, this, 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 and it's not working. And well, have you ever tried an Atkins style diet? Have you ever tried a low carb diet? Have you ever tried a ketogenic diet? You know, whatever. Let's just try it for three weeks. You know, like obviously you got nothing to lose because all these other plans, you just gain the weight back. And, you know, not everyone responds to that. I'm not thinking the world needs to eat this way. But if you were to look at the data on people that are obese, diabetic, insulin resistant, you know, if you were to look at a first approach that's based on, human physiology, that would be your approach. It shouldn't be shocking, you know, even to a non-medical person that if insulin's driving the problem, have a diet that doesn't make you produce too much insulin. At so, least uh, not everyone needs to eat this way. So maybe uh, what about a athletic person like yourself who goes in and uh, gives the blood values and the, the, the glucose is healthy, the triglycerides are healthy, and they're eating a high-carbohydrate diet? Are these certain genetically uh, unique individuals that can thrive uh, with a little bit of extra or a lot of extra carb intake for whatever reason? Totally. This would be, you know, you go around the planet, you've traveled. You know, these are just healthy societies. The one thing that these healthy societies do not do is they don't have sugar-sweetened drinks and garbage and junk food. So if you're, you know, traveling around, you say you go to, there's this little country called France, <laughs> You know, I wouldn't say they're low carb. I mean, they have carbs, but they don't have garbage. You know, there's no junk. Even the bread would be stale by lunch if you bought it in the morning because there's no fructose. You know, and they're walking. So, and, the, you know, they slow down and eat. So they have all those components of the, the healthy person bias, right? They, you know, they eat dinner together. They slow down. They're mindful. You know, they're not they're working. How many hours a week do they work in France? You know, we work like 80 hours a week you know, night shifts and things. So they're doing everything right and they eat this type of diet. So which probably has more carbs than a diabetic here in America should start out with to reverse the disease. So if you're healthy, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. But I, I find it hard to find in my life. Like I see Brad in my hospital, occasionally you'll have a hundred year old come in, you know, that broke their hip or something. Usually they're, you know, something like that. That's the only reason they'd be in the hospital. You know, they're well people otherwise, and you just ask them what they've done for their whole life, and it's all old school. You know, they're, oh, I eat bacon and eggs. You know, I've never, 
seen, I've never met a single hundred year old who has like cereal for breakfast every day. They, they just did not read those dietary guidelines in 1980. They just ate what their parents ate and their grandparents ate. And they've managed to you know keep their brain function too. You know, that's, they're just the human experiment of people living long age, but they're doing other things, right? Too. These are people that are living a simple lifestyle, you know, out in farm country in West Virginia. Oh, beautiful. Hey, Mark, and they before have some we... bread. No, they have some homemade bread. Right, homemade bread instead of the yeah, store-bought. Yeah. Big difference. Uh, Big difference. Before I let you go, I have to ask you about an extremely important uh, matter of recent current events, and that is our friend Kipchoge running wow, a two-hour and one-minute marathon. Two hours, one thirty and change? Jeez. Well, he's, you know, he is like, I read the New York Times article about him like two days before the race. Wonderful story about Eliud Kipchoge. And, you know, he's, he, he is like Yoda in the pack. And he had one quote, I, I, which is so profound, even to people like that. I'm going to start using it with my medical patients. You know, he's so well read that the people around him says he never says the same thing twice. You know, that's like a sign of wisdom, you know, that you got friends who tell the same story all the time, but he never says the same thing twice. But he said this, the best time to plant a tree would have been 25 years ago, but the second best time is now. And I can visualize him saying that, you know, <laughs> sitting around uh, eating some Ugali, you know, at the Spartan training camp, you know, up in E10. But wow, wow what an amazing human to pull that off. What a nice tie-in back to the discussion of the day, which is to transform your diet and avoid this disastrous uh, demise by metabolic disease that we're seeing in record numbers. So, um, if you're, you know, if you've had some white death in your in your past life, uh, today's a good day to to start and turn it around. And um, would you counsel a patient with any uh, parting words, like? be gradual with your reduction of the junk or do you want to go uh, for a cold turkey approach because the sugar is so addictive even if it lingers around uh, a little a, bit what do you think question. and i leave that up to the person and the individual and their support system because you don't want to set people up for failure so there's probably like two camps brad that i see in, in medicine one is you know, they don't have any support system and they're in the hospital and they just had some major event and they haven't even thought about low carb or anything and you know they're just in a bad you know affording food and you just try to get them like vinny nsng so let's do the basics and then you have people that you know come to you in the clinic you know who've read 16 keto cookbooks <laughs> so those people want all in so whatever if they don't want to do it it doesn't matter how much i believe it so i kind of like what do you want to go all in I, if people want to go all in i don't discourage it and i'll i'll say yeah go for it right you know, it might suck for a few days, you know, uh, make sure you get salt and, you know, don't go to McDonald's, you know, because avoid the stuff. But if people want a more gradual entry in, that's cool too. As long as they're making forward progress, it's all good. Just as long as they're moving in the right direction, it's all good. That's all I tell people. And I'm there for them. I give all my patients my cell phone, my email, because people need, I think this is what it is, Brad. Like if you go in and try to help someone, if they know you're committed to them, that's powerful. So look, I'm going to commit to help you, period. You know, you own it. I, I don't own it. You own it, but I'll commit to help you. And then they know that, oh, wow, he gave me my cell phone. 
so he's so I think they kind of own it a little more than if you're gonna if they know you're there. But you, you can't you can't go shop for these folks. They have to understand it and own it. And then it's that's free. Love it, Dr. Mark. Thank you so much for what you're doing to the great state of West Virginia and getting the word out to all the listeners. Such valuable information. And you're, you're walking your talk, man. You, you turned your pyramid upside down and uh, still going strong, going for that sub three hour marathon in your spare time. Yeah, we'll chat after Marine Corps Marathon. We'll lay it on the line, right? Just go out and have some fun. Dr. Mark Cucuzella, where do we find you? What's that best website again? Yeah, so I just published a book. So all this stuff, I, uh, kind of my manifesto. <laughs> so I published a book. It's, so you can go to the website for the book, runforyourlifebook.com, you know, and that has a bunch of videos that we've uh, that link from the book. You know, we, we filmed a lot of different exercises, running form stuff. Got some videos there that have presentations I've done on nutrition. So that's a good place. My, I, have, I own a minimal shoe store, which sells flat minimal shoes, tworiverstreads.com. My personal website is drmarksdesk.com, which links out to a bunch of places. But um, if any of this interests you, just read the book and you might pick something from that book. You, know, you can't tackle 10 things at once. You know, pick a couple things in your life to work on. But, you know, I, I feel pretty good. It took hell. I mean, you've, you've written books with Mark. It's a shit. It's writing, running a marathon is easy. Writing a book is in your free time, lack thereof is a disaster trying to do that. So I got it done and I feel good that it's done and I don't think I would change anything. So I think it's for now, it's, it's nothing is really, since I started writing it, there hasn't been any new massive discovery that would make me tear a chapter out yet. All right, go get the book, run for your life. Thanks everyone for listening to Dr. Mark Cucuzella. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves because they need to. Thanks for doing it. Let's talk about probiotics from Integro Health. Do you want me to sing the messages? Nah. But probiotics are an extremely important concept. Hopefully you're all in on the values, the benefits of nourishing a healthy gut microbiome so you can flourish in life. And that's the name of Integro's product, Flourish, a unique, extremely potent living liquid probiotic. Yes, it's liquid form. How is it different from other probiotics we usually see in pills? This is the message from Integro. Microbes continue to thrive and metabolize in their own milieu. Do you like when companies use the word milieu to describe their product? I do. These include short-chain fatty acids, bioactive peptides, amino acids, enzymes, and minerals. The liquid base makes it acid-stable, so microbes can survive the stomach environment and transit to the lower GI tract for integration to give you a healthy gut microbiome. There's 11 different strains in this thing, carefully hand-cultivated in the laboratory with precision to deliver 8 billion total CFU. 
Why take probiotics? Come on, you have to ask. It's going to strengthen your immune function, reduce systemic inflammation, the root cause of all disease, improve digestion, promote bowel regularity, relieve gas and bloating, get you going again after illness or antibiotic use. That's me because I first got this shipment the very day I returned home from a Mexican vacation and had a stomach illness once again. What a bummer. So sad because I love going down south, but I needed to repair and return to action quickly. So I started guzzling this stuff and had a wonderful return to health. I'm a very enthusiastic user and will be over the long run because I need all the help I can get. I don't know about you when we're talking about our routine usage of antibiotics, the stress we put on our system and in the environment every single day. I especially notice my gut health is compromised when I engage in overly intensive athletic training, have trouble recovering. My gut is the first thing to go. So this is my go-to product, the Flourish Probiotic in liquid form. Try it yourself. I love the delicious root beer float flavor. Just kidding, man. This stuff is no funny business. This is the real deal. It's very potent. It tastes fine. It goes down okay, but no root beer float flavor. Sorry. Take it. You'll love it. Go look at IntegroHealth.com for more information and to order shipped directly to your door in its unique liquid form. Flourish!